You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red as Nottingham Forest secure what we all hope is the point that keeps them in the Premier League after Saturday's 2-2 draw at Chelsea. Joining me to discuss the game and the relegation battle is a heavyweight panel featuring, first of all, BT Sport broadcaster and BBC Radio 5 Live's Darren Fletcher. Fletch, how are you? Very good, thank you. Very optimistic, you. as I have been since the opening ball was kicked. I, th- I feel vindication. Vindication is only a couple of couple of more couple of games away. Oh God, I hope so. I hope so. Second guest today is chief football writer of the Eye Paper and Big Forest fan Daniel Story. Hi, mate. How are you? Yeah, I find like I'm kind of yang to that ying. I'm just a rampant pessimist that hopefully is going to be disproven come two weeks' time. Well, we'll come on to that shortly about how we're all feeling. And our third heavyweight guest today is a man who had three salted caramel and chocolate chip cookies for breakfast. Michael Temple, how are you? I'm delighted to be the fourth most prominent journalist in this conversation, Matt. That's how I'm feeling. <laughs> that whole the heavyweight intro was just written for that that whole biscuit joke. So, yeah, I'm glad that you confessed that in the WhatsApp chat this morning. It was very good of you. Right, uh, Temps, why don't you kick us off? Chelsea away. Just thoughts on the, the performance, the result, what it means? Yeah, really good point for me. Um, w- what it means is that in, in all likelihood, I think Forrest are going to keep their place in the in the Premier League next season. We're, we're a point ahead of the schedule that I had. I still think we're going to go away to Crystal Palace and win on the final game of the season. But now we've got a chance to put it to bed um, with even a point against Arsenal. I think 35 would make us uh, materially safe as we await the, uh, the, the Leicester-Liverpool game. Tonight, in terms of the performance, yeah, look, there's there's some work on, as there's always going to be. But once again, we absorbed pressure and found a way to score. And I think the form of Taiwo and the way that we found of getting the the, the best out of him uh, in recent weeks could be really telling in these two games ahead. What about you, Dan, in terms of result versus performance? There's always a sense of what might have been, but I was certainly very happy with the point and the performance in general. What about you? Yeah, I, I think it turned what would have been a bonus point into a more of a necessary point after Leeds's point against Newcastle. I think we, we probably all looked at that and kind of hoped that Newcastle would do what they've been doing to most teams home and away this season and that if Leeds lost that, Allardyce had gone into the game saying they couldn't afford to not take a point. And if they hadn't done that, I think it would have just been a bonus point. I think actually, yeah, it keeps us about right. Uh, I am still worried about Leeds' fixture list, I have to say. Uh, I think Leicester will probably lose on Monday night and that could be them done. But I am worried about Leeds because I, I watched West Ham Brentford game on Sunday and they were, yeah, they are absolutely just all eggs in the European basket, which is slightly concerning. And Spurs cannot wait for the season to end. But it's in our own hands still. We shouldn't be looking at, other, I know Stevie Cooper has said all season, you know, we do look at what other clubs are doing. But I think now is a chance to say one win and we'll basically be safe. So why not try and get it as soon as possible? I suppose for you, Fletch, I'll ask you about the relegation picture in a minute. But the fact it's in Forest's hands at the moment, they're grasping it. Is that a big positive for you? And they showed that again at Chelsea, I thought, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, I think if you go back to the conversation that we had in the summer, you know, we all agreed at that point. And I think we all have at various stages um, that if you can be in control of your own destiny at this stage of the season, that's huge. And they, they've they've been fortunate enough um, they've also earned the right to be in that position. And I think that's huge, that when you go into two matches now and you know that it's in your hands and you can control that, you can go into the situation with a lot more confidence than if you are a team looking at what other people do. I mean, I'm a little bit different to Dan in terms of the West Ham situation. I think by next weekend, the European situation will have been put to put to bed for a while. I think David Moyes is very pragmatic and I think he'll look at 37 and say, yes, we're safe, but I'd like 38. And I think you'll see a different West Ham that won't have seven changes next week and that will be a more difficult test for Leeds than it was for Brentford yesterday. And I also think as well, you know, Spurs might need points on the last day to get into into Europe next season. It could also be the last time that Harry Kane ever wears a Tottenham jersey. So there are other factors that may come in to the other teams between now and then. So I think one thing we could probably agree on is that we will absolutely drive ourselves mad if we worry about anything <laughs> else. The sensible thing to do here is just go and get a, a win against Arsenal on Saturday and then we can all go out on Saturday night and not come in again for about a week. 
I think, yeah, oh God, I'd love a win because I think I'm sort of more like Dan. I think the closer we get to safety, the more pessimistic I get, like it's going to be yanked away after doing all this hard work. It's like that Al Pacino speech on any given Sunday, like inch by inch, clawing for yeah. it. And you're just waiting for Leeds to get some mad win. I mean, they should have beaten Newcastle, I thought. I thought Newcastle were poor on the day. Really? Yeah, I did. Oh, did you commentate on that game, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't see how they were going to beat Newcastle. I thought Newcastle... Hadn't well, they were on a plate at the end. Yeah, but they won a lot. They had that penalty. Newcastle had gifted two penalties. They were silly decisions by Leeds to give them penalties. That's what teams at the bottom that, do, isn't it? Is that. When they missed the second penalty, they just they just died of death at that point. I mean, that was that was it at that stage. I mean, after that, they were they were they were feeling in the dark. And Newcastle, I thought on Saturday, were from an attacking standpoint, maybe as flat as I've seen them for a while. They didn't zip the ball around in the final third. Isak was never really a factor. And I take your point that you look at the, the self-inflicted errors from Leeds that ended up giving Newcastle two penalties. But in general play, Leeds didn't do a great deal. They seemed like the crowd was was a positive for a period of the match, but it almost felt like a weight around their neck on other occasions. And I still think when I look at the way Sam Allardyce lined the team up, there was a lot of concern from the fans in terms of what the midfield looked like in particular. And from almost like 10 minutes in, Adam Forshaw was warming up and I think he'd realised early that Greenwood in there was the wrong thing to do. And he's got a lot to learn in a short space of time. So I'm still very pessimistic about Leeds. I think West Ham will, will beat them at the weekend. And then I think Leeds go into the final match almost in a lottery situation. I, I wasn't... I, I expected Leeds to be a rip-roaring team from the start, roared on by that Ellen Road crowd at the weekend which I think you'll see at the City Ground on Saturday, by the way, for the last home match. And I didn't see that. And that worried me because you kind of look at it and think, if you're not going to do it then, and it really was noisy, if you can't do it then, what are you then going to do when you go to West Ham? That would, that, that, I, I was a little bit disappointed by what I saw from Leeds in the circumstances on Saturday. Let me ask you a quick aside question, a professional question. You're commentating on that game and you have to do it professionally and neutrally. But at the same time, that Newcastle goal goes in. In the back of your mind, you must be like, get in. Do you know what? I'm actually thinking because the games haven't been picked yet for the, for the final day. And I don't know whether to tell the bosses at BT that if we end up doing Crystal Palace Forest, I possibly shouldn't do it. I, I don't know. Rio sent to me any relegation game. You should probably put a disclaimer out at the start that you can't be responsible for your actions during the course of 90 minutes. So I don't quite know where we'll be with that. I'm not sure. But commentators can't win. And Mike, um, Martin Keogh went off on uh, Martin Tyler on Talk Sport today. You're talking about, yeah. I, thought that was, I thought that was nonsense, personally. Martin Tyler didn't sound very excited at all when Brighton scored, <laughs> but that's a different debate. I couldn't, um, I couldn't possibly comment. On not on here, you can't, no. <laughs> Uh, attempts on Friday, you, we did our relegation percentages, and mine's still 50 50 for the reasons of you know my inbuilt pessimism that I, we discussed. But what you said the percentage would go up if Forrest got something, so what are you at now? Absolutely right. Well, I, I said on my Twitter, didn't I, that I thought 80 percent if we got that point, um, which is probably where I'm at now. Look, they, when you're dealing with teams at this part of the league table, you, you don't look at it thinking they're going to get a win from every game they go into. You'd look for a different lens if you're looking at Champions League qualification. We're looking at faltering teams that have flatlined or failed for long periods of time. And I'm with Fletch. Leeds look lost. I wouldn't have Bamford anywhere near a penalty anytime soon. I thought they were desperate in the tackle. There was a case for a, a red card when, when, uh, when the boy went over the top and was lucky to get away with a, a yellow. They, they looked um, a little bit desperate to me. I don't expect them to find their rhythm anytime soon. I know some of the podcasts somewhere in Yorkshire could clip this and um, try and hang us on it at some point. But for me, Forest have got a, a bit of a feel-good factor. They're playing in a far more forgiving environment in, in the city ground, which has been consistently positive, um, buoyant, despite any run of form, good, bad or indifferent. I just think we're in such a better place than the teams are up against. And also, our points are on the board. They need to go out and find theirs. Our three-point lead is on the board. So that's why I'm sticking to my guns and telling you that four times out of five from this point now, Forrest stay in the Premier League. I know everything Temp says there is totally logical, Dan, but I go into games thinking, let's yeah. we're going to win tonight and stuff like that. What yeah, but I, I hear that and I'm just jealous of both of them. <laughs> I, just think, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could not assume that 
it's going to go down to a final day shootout and we all remember Stoke at home and we're going to go down on goal difference because we couldn't stop conceding goals in patches earlier this season. I know that is also illogical, but yeah, I, I do think we are in the commanding position, not just because we've got the points on the board, but because we are you know, we are in a, in a feel-good place. Uh, we are we, we don't have a new manager. We don't have a manager who's trying to work things out or is trying to find different roles for players to try and spark something different. It feels like now I think we've basically Brennan in and out the side to side. We've basically got the settled team we want. Um, let's not forget that there could easily be another injury around the corner because it's this season. But it does feel settled all of a sudden and everyone seems to really know their job, which I don't think was the case three or four months ago. Even with Brennan in, out, in and out of the side, Fletch, it still feels like it's a settled plan. They know why they're doing it. What did you make of the decision to leave Brennan out again? Yeah, I, I understand it. I understand it. And I, I wouldn't have any criticism at the moment of any decision that's being taken anywhere in the team. I mean, it, 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 looks, it looks as balanced as it's looked, I think, all season. Um, it looks as together as it's looked all season. And I would say that at both ends of the pitch. Um, and I think one thing we have learned is that I don't mean, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, Taiwo Awani has his limitations as a Premier League footballer at the moment. And I think I said earlier in the season that I made comparisons to when Ivan Tony first went to Brentford. And over the course of a couple of years, Thomas Frank and his team have coached into Ivan Tony how to unlock everything that's inside him. And I've got confidence that there is more to come from Taiwo. But what I would say categorically is that Forrester a better team when he's on the pitch, regardless of those limitations, because he just gives them a presence, a focal point, work, effort, size, a poacher's instinct that other other people in the squad haven't got. So I can understand that, that when Steve Cooper gets into certain situations and he thinks, I want an extra defensive-minded player, maybe an extra midfielder, then one of the attackers has to go. And at the moment, that wouldn't be Taiwo Awani for me because I think we look a better team, as I say, when he's in there. I just wish, and I don't think it's going to happen this season, again, you would look at the goals that were conceded on Saturday and you would say that they're soft, relatively soft. And that is a recurring theme. And I think when they go away, hopefully as a Premier League team, to look at what they're going to do next season. I think that's the big element that they've got to remove. Dan made, made the point there that, They've conceded goals in bunches. Therefore, 34 points is not quite as strong as 34, 34 points would be. The goal difference was stronger. And I think that's the big area for me. When they come back, they've got to eliminate that ability to shoot themselves in the foot in key moments. And if they do, then they are a team next season that can take strides up the Premier League and, and start to look at that mid-table gap because that's the kind of talent they've got. But when you make unforced errors at the rate they have this season then you're always going to drag yourself back down because of that. Just sticking with Taiwo, Dan, I mean, he seems the most humble guy. He's obviously a religious guy. You see that from his celebrations. But he looks to me like he started playing with a bit of a swagger, a bit of an ego and a bit of a belief that he belongs in this level since he's come back from his injury. Yeah, I think I think what helps forwards like Awani when, when you're coming back from injury is Steve Cooper's clearly putting him closer to goal. And I think, I think that was a masterstroke because... I, he was doing a job in that kind of sort of hybrid wide left forward, but also wide left target man role earlier in the season. But if you're struggling a bit for confidence, and, and Tyro said he was when he came back from injury because he wasn't fully match fit and he wasn't scoring goals, the best thing to do is get yourself closer to goal. I, I had a look at this earlier for work, but uh, I think in three of his 40, first 14 Premier League games, uh, Awani had three or more touches in the penalty box. He's done that in five of his last six games for Forest. So, it's a deliberate move to get him closer to goal. He's scoring with nearly all of his shots on target at the moment. Yes, he does. You know, Fletch is right. He does look a bit clumsy at times. He looks a little bit ungainly, but sometimes that's how strikers look. You know, I remember watching Romelu Lukaku at, at Everton and there were times when he looked a little bit like that, but he still scored 22, 23 Premier League goals in that season. I think there's a lot more to come from him. I think he's clearly a confidence player. Uh, he, it looks in his celebrations that he's finally kind of building relationships with with players in that team. And that, all season, I've said this. That's what what cuts out those unforced errors. It's players knowing each other. It's knowing what your, your mate next to you is going to do, where he's going to give you the ball, what accuracy and what speed and what weight he's going to give you that pass, where your next move should be to receive the ball. That all comes with time, and that's what Brentford have done brilliantly. It's what Forest need to do brilliantly. They need to kick on, I think. 
I think that leads to the big point I wanted to make this week. I keep forgetting to say about relationships and consistency. And I mean, this is why I think Cooper's done such a brilliant job. I know there's fans who think he's too negative on the pitch and, you know, fair enough. Perhaps we can, the tactics are a bit conservative, but I think that's understandable. But for a manager to have 30 new signings and 20 plus injuries and still have this team where they are in the box seat to stay up. I mean, I think, I think there was a real scenario where if they'd sacked Cooper and got in, a Frank Lampard or a Nathan Jones and really made a duff decision. I think this season could have gone to hell personally and we could have been down already. So I think that was a big point I want to make that Cooper, I still think has done a great job to be, to be where we are. Um, Matt, just can I on... say something on that? I, yeah, I, please. I had Dean Henderson on the radio with me on Friday <clears throat> and I would urge Forest supporters to go and have a listen to what he said because he spoke brilliantly and he, he said that when they beat Southampton and he said it in a jokey way, <laughs> But he said it was like New Year's Eve in the dressing room after the game. He said, A, because we're so happy, but B, because there were so many people in there. And I think it's a real it's a real testament to that togetherness that you're talking about, that they've stayed together as they have all season as a group. And I know that Dean at the minute has got his leg in the air and he's trying to rehab it back at his house in Manchester. But the plan is for him to be at the city ground on Saturday for the Arsenal match. And then he intends to be at Crystal Palace, even though the loan to all intents and purposes has come to an end, he wants to be part of that. And he said that this is all about the work the manager's done. And he praised the owner for sticking with the manager. And he made the point that every player at the club has an individual relationship with the manager. Now, that's a hell of a lot of work that Steve Cooper has to do away from the training pitch. A lot of phone calls you've got to make on days off to check that everybody's okay. But that's the commitment that he's made to that group of players. And I think now you get into the stage of the season when it really matters. Those players are repaying him for how they feel about the season. And I think you, you talk about some of the decisions that have been made. The Nathan Jones thing will have had a huge fragmenting effect on the, on the Southampton changing room. Other clubs who have gone through changes. I mean, you imagine what it feels like at Leeds at the minute. Were you a Javi Gracia man? Were you a Jesse Marsh man? Are you a Sam Allardyce man? I mean, you've got so many... So many, so many eyes looking at you during the course of the season. You've got so many emotions based on which managers you liked and which manager liked you. This is a very together group. And, and Dean's words were, were enlightening. And I, I was in the company at the time of, of Nigel Rio Coker and Paul Robinson. And both of them said, I see Nottingham Forest through different eyes now based on what he's just said about what it feels like to be there and the togetherness that there is. And I think of all those teams now down there at the bottom, the most solid base that they're all coming from is at the city ground because there hasn't been change. They've all been in it together. And that has to count for something at some stage in some match when the chips are down or they need something, they will lean on each other and those relationships to get them through. And I think that's vital. Mm. Well, you see that in cricket temps. I know it's a different sport, obviously, but working behind the scenes, you see what the power of a bond between a group. It actually can take you a long way, can't it? See, in all sports, Peter Moores is a good example of that here. People signing to be around a guy that was a, you know, a, a previous England coach and has, has brought um, immense potential out of players and, and turned them into performers again. But yeah, look, I see that in Cooper. I think it's a virtuous circle. When the chips were down for him, the supporters gave him their backing. He retained the, the confidence and the trust of the board. Ultimately, he never lost it from the players and now it's become self-fulfilling. And I'd say this to those that are still in the kind of Cooper out brigade or having that Cooper out um, debate. It's OK to change your mind. It's OK to say, I've seen these games now. I've, I've seen the media, the MGW, that Hendo, that these people have done praising um, the environment that Cooper has created. And that's been a positive for us. The challenge for Cooper is amongst doing all that, he's had to manage the, the egos of players coming in, in and out of a team. And he's had to kiss a few frogs to pick the players that are playing for us now. So start of the season, you would not have envisaged this 11 being anything like the 11 that, that we would we would have out there at this stage of the season. You would not, uh, on the way in, have expected that people like Jesse Lingard, uh, Froiler, Dennis, Shelby, IU, Wood, would find themselves on the, you know, the very periphery of, of what we're, we're doing now. So I, I think his method has been sound. He's not playing football the way he wants to play. He's having to wrestle with his ideals in terms of what's our best possible chance of getting a handful of points between now and the end of the season, rather than building some kind of 
um, dynasty of playing free-flowing passing football, as we saw in the back end of the, the championship campaign um, last year. So task A, keepers in this league, but I think we'll see a, a very, very um, different game plan, more changes to personnel, but more, more most critically, uh, a further strengthening of this bond between manager, fan base and players. And yeah. that's what's going to make us a, a long-term premiership club, a stable premiership club. So just before Dan comes in on that, <clears throat> I think that's people who would like that this season. I understand because Forrest played that kind of football last season. It's hard to go and do it year one in the Premier League. And if you look at Brentford as a prime example, the football that they've played this season is of a different standard to the football they played last season. If you look at the, the gradual progression of Brighton, they went from a team that stayed up by the skin of their teeth in, in, in season one, slightly better but couldn't score, slightly better but couldn't score. As it progresses, they get to this wide-open team now who play out from the back. They're one of the most exciting teams to watch. And they they recruit superbly well. But that's been a work in progress, and that's something that's taken time. First and foremost, you've got to anchor yourself to the Premier League, become a Premier League club. And then from that point on, you can start to develop and play the kind of football that, that, that people would like ultimately to see. And I think we're all in that boat. We all want to see a, a free-flowing forest. We're all romantics at the end of the day. We all want to see our team playing great football. But it has to be a process and you have to do it in certain stages. Otherwise, if you try and be too open at the start, you'll just end up getting relegated. Mm. What would you say about that, Dan? I mean, they did try and do that at the start, didn't they? And <laughs> They were almost getting relegated. They were very open early season. Yeah, they were. And I think there's also, I think possession, which is, is the thing that's most often labelled against Cooper. I think, basically, I think the English football public has been sold a, a misnomer on possession. There are statistics which indicate your strength and I'd put shots in there. I'd probably put corners in there because that indicates you're, you're high at the pitch. And there are statistics that in, just simply indicate style. And I think for a long time, the, the public of all the football public have been sold this lie that possession is an indicator of strength. It's not necessarily, it's an indicator of style. You will have a team that sacrifices the ball and plays brilliant, wonderful watch counter-attacking football, the very low present possession. And you'll have a team that dominates the ball, but just plays short passes around the back that doesn't really try and move forward. Brendan Rodgers fell foul of this at Leicester where he had lots of the ball, but didn't actually do anything with it. All possession is, is working out all the number of passes in the game and then working out the percentages that each side had. So if one side passes the ball nine times across the back, nine different passes, and then one team plays a brilliant three ball through for a striker, that's one pass versus nine. That doesn't mean that, that team is nine times better. It doesn't even mean that team's as good as that other team. What it means is that style is to keep possession and the other one isn't. I've no doubt that Steve Cooper would like a bit more possession. I think I think he, he lives off having some control, lots of managers do. But I also think he's pretty happy that with the, with the weapons he's got, with, with our knee, with Gibbs-White, with, with Brennan when he plays, and with Danilo now pushing up, we actually look a really good counter-attacking team. So I don't I don't think he'll throw the baby away with the bathwater this summer because I think he'll see in that team the potential to be really good against bigger teams on the counter-attack if we can sort out the defensive organisation. But yes, there is a there's an argument at the city ground that we can be more kind of confident in the ball. We can retain the ball. We can look to play passes through midfield as well with Gibbs-White as well as being a counter-attacking team. But I think we can be good at both. I honestly do. Agreed, agreed. Um, just moving on, just quickly, actually, on a one year, I uh, sort of interest that earlier. His goals have been worth 13 of our 34 points, effectively. <laughs> Three goals in one nils, and uh, two obviously to get a point on Saturday, and two v Southampton for three points. So, I'd yeah, love to know the distance all the goals have covered if you bolted them together. They're <laughs> <laughs> getting a bit bigger, but they're mostly six yard marks, but that's fine. That's good. Um, one other player to touch on, um, before we break down the game a little bit, if we have time, actually, is Joe Worrell, who has hit temps. Just a consistent run of form. And I think obviously we're big supporters on, on this podcast, but I've always felt there's a Premier League defender in there and it, it's starting to emerge now. Yeah, more passes, successful passes than any other player in the in the Forest team. I think he's one of only four to play 2,000 minutes this year as well. Um, become a consistent performer. I thought even when he found himself at, at right back uh, in a needs-must selection over the past couple of weeks, he was, he was really excellent. Close to a faster winger. Um, addressing that perceived lack of pace and the relative lack of pace by just not letting them get up ahead of steam and being touch tight from the second that, that wingers have got the ball. He did get caught out once by the, the Raheem um, Sterling run inside, but then the recovery tackle that we saw um, was 
you know, potentially a, a, a game saver at the at the weekend. So, yeah, a mention to uh, to, to Joe. Um, I think he's been um, very consistent in the last few weeks. I think he's deserving of that shirt at the moment, and he's presenting a really difficult selection dilemma for Cooper, um, who, if he wants to find a way to get Brennan back in the side and still play a five, um, has a, has a difficult decision to make on on who would be left out. But Joe's been um, you know, one, one of our most consistent performance in recent weeks, and I expect him to keep the shirt for the rest of the season now. Mm. A bit like Tywo, Fletch, do you see a bit of a, a swagger and a belief that Joe belongs at this level? Because it's a huge step up, isn't it? One thing that I've seen in the Premier League, and Liverpool are a prime example of this a couple of seasons back, if you have a revolving door at centre-half, different partnerships with different players, you get inconsistency from the central defenders. Virgil van Dijk's injury, Liverpool went through an entire roster of central defenders and they could never find the right blend. And they conceded lots of goals in his absence. I feel for the Forest centre-backs a little bit and I'm, I'm kind of clumping them all together. They've not really ever had a settled back two, back three in the central defensive positions because of injuries and incomings as well. And I think what Joe's benefiting from at the minute is maybe having Moussa Niakate in the team and Felipe in the team. Felipe is a, is a Champions League standard centre-back, or at least has been with Atletico Madrid. Very, very sound defensively, understands the game, positionally is good, he's aggressive. He's the kind of A-side of a central defensive pairing that somebody can lean on. Niakate brings athleticism to the back three or the, or the, or the two if they play a two that we haven't had all season. And that's why he came in at the outset. He's got a different skill set. A forward's pace isn't necessarily a concern to him. I just think as, as, as the, the players have got better in that area and they've got fitter and they've become more consistent, he's benefited as much as anybody. Um, and I think you would say the same at a lot of clubs. I think if you look at, at Liverpool, whichever centre-back plays next to Van Dijk looks a better player because they've got an A-lister next to them. If you have a partnership of Canate as the A-side and somebody else, they look frail. And I think Joe has benefited from having better players, the confidence growing, him becoming used to the Premier League. I think there are lots of factors. But I think what is impressive about him is that when he was hearing it from the supporters and when his confidence was low, he was able to go away, dig deep, use the character that he's got. I mentioned this before. He came through the academy. They build them that way in there. They're very resilient people the players who come through the Forest Academy. And he leaned on that, looked inside himself. And he said to me privately, I'll tell you this now, he said to me privately, this is hard. He said, this is hard in footballing terms, but psychologically, this is hard. It's the first time he's had to deal with that kind of situation where he was being questioned and criticised. And he had to look inside himself and dig deep and come out the other side. And I'm proud of him for doing it because... It is a sink or swim moment for a player when you're at the top level of your game and this is as hard as it's going to get for him and you've got negative thoughts in your mind and things aren't going your way. Have you got that moral fibre, the character in there to come out the other side and then be better? And he's done that. And I'm proud of him as a friend. I'm proud of him as a footballer. And I'm absolutely delighted to see him playing the way that he is now because it's, it's testament to him and, and what he's gone and done himself to get himself where he is now. It's fantastic. The other thing he's done... The other thing he's he's had to do this season, partly because of you know Forrest trying to defend score lines, and partly because we've had so many injuries, particularly at the back. He's come on as a sub in the Premier League nine times, which is an mm. awful lot for a central defender. Normally, what happens now is Premier League managers bring on an extra central midfielder for a striker if they're trying to shore up a game because um, they think that's where you can kind of sort of clog things up. Joe's had to come on nine times, and I know that his critics are focused on. Wolves at home because we've conceded when he's come on. But he's also come on in Brighton at home. He came on at Liverpool at home. He came on at Southampton at home. And he came on in Brighton away. And that's 30% of our points this season. So let's not pretend that Joe Warrell comes on and then suddenly something goes wrong. No, sometimes, more often than not, actually, Joe comes on and does his job and Forrest look better for it. So I, I really I really felt for him earlier in the season. I couldn't be more proud of him. I've got the photo on the wall of him holding up the trophy um, at the council house. And he deserved, I think, from a number of supporters, almost all of them online, I should say, I think he deserved better. I think he deserved more from them. And I'm glad now that he's able to show them through example. And that's exactly what he's doing now. 
Um, as Nick says in the comments, 613 people saying 17 likes. So do give us a like if you can chip in. That'd be much appreciated. Uh, Temps, one like other it, point though. about... I don't like it, Matt. That's why they've not done it. <laughs> I'll force people to do something that they don't want to do. They might only be that number that like us. The this is what YouTube like people do. <laughs> Temps, I was going to say another thing about Joe, and this is a wider defensive point. A lot of the time this season, Forest have had a rather chaotic midfield in front of that back three or back four and now as well we find a bit of a settled balance there as well I think that's helped the defence out as well hasn't it yeah look it, 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 there have been some guesses and some experimentation hasn't there it's like the Bolly Worrell partnership came off the back of resting other players so we didn't lose them in a in a cup game that didn't really matter they shone and kept their places for a, for a while um, I mean, Fletch, look, Fletch made this point a long time ago about not quite getting what Freuler was doing for the team. And I think now we've, we've seen an alternative combination in centre mid. We realise that. Now that Yates is back and available, we, we realise again what we've missed there. Koyate coming in from the bench is a, is a brilliant move to make, as Dan describes there, to, to shore up a midfield when we find ourselves in a positive position with, with 20 minutes to, to go. So, yeah, look, there'll be further improvement to, to personnel um, in the window, but I think the players, the core of players we're seeing now is going to remain for the rest of the season. I think Brennan plus those 11 is pretty much the cast that you're going to see between um, now and the, the game at, uh, at Crystal Palace on the, on the final day. The squad, the depth, the 25, that's been put to bed now. We've worked out who we trust. Let's hope there's no more injuries and we can stay settled because I think the blend in midfield, the commitment from the defence, and the goal-scoring form of Taiwo is what's going to get us through. What we've seen in the last three or four games, harness the very best of that, cut out the mistakes. And there were a few of them. I think we'll probably get into it in a sec, but I've, I've written down three or four things where I think we could have done better against Chelsea. There's always room for improvement. But let's not get on those, those 12 players that have made themselves available, got themselves fit, maintained their form, and can in no way be accused of hiding this season, as some others in the squad undoubtedly have. I also think as well, when you look at the group, and I'd be interested to know what you, you all think about this, you're starting to see the skeleton of next year's team as well. And I think that's important, that not only do you survive in year one, but you then put the skeleton in place for year two. So you're adding pieces to improve what you have rather than having to start again because it's just not being good enough. There are players now that you would go in at the start of next season and be confident that not only will they start the season well, but they will continue to get better. Morgan Gibbs-White is the perfect example. Danilo is another one. All of a sudden, he's, he's starting to look like a force in the Premier League. You would happily start the season with Niakate, Felipe, Worrell as three of your centre-backs. And if they bring Willie Bolly back, you've got a nice quartet there. Now, if you added a really good one into that mix, all of a sudden, you've got real depth in that area. They've got to buy a goalkeeper. But it would be Dean Henderson, you would presume, if they could do that, if they survive. So there's another. All of a sudden, you've got a centre-forward in Tyler Arany, who we've spoken about, that you would happily start the season with. Ryan Yates would be a starter for you. So straight away, you've got the spine of a team that you'd be happy to start with. Brennan Johnson is another player that would be in that, in that mix once the shape's right and you know what you're going to do with him. You've got a group then that you can add quality too, and you would be quite confident going in that they could make strides in the Premier League next season. And I think that's important too, that you can see what the future looks like while you're dealing with the present. Mm. It's interesting. It goes back a couple of weeks when Lewis McGugan was on and he talked about managers having 15 players they trust, really. And the rest are sort of, they're in and in the mix, but they're a little bit peripheral after a while. And I think we're seeing that with Steve that He's found his core group now, and this is what we've got, like Temp said, for the rest of the season. Just going back on Chelsea, just to review it a bit more quickly, um, Dan Temp's mentioned the, the disappointing elements of the performance. And it's one, not for the first time, it's just though 10 or 15 minutes after half-time, we've conceded two pretty soft goals there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah we have. And I think we've had a one of our issues all season has been... Um, when a player runs directly in between that line between the wing back if we're playing a, a three at the back or or the full back if we're playing a four um in that channel between the center backs and the the, the wing backs or the full backs and and Raheem Sterling I don't know if you've been told to but certainly his natural game is to pick up the ball there and and run at us and that's exactly what he did they were soft goals but 
I looked at the game. I watched the game back again on Sunday, and I, you know, I see Raheem Sterling making a bit of a fool of a Forest player, and I think, well, well yeah. I mean, I've watched, been watching him play for England for the best part of a decade and being absolutely brilliant. I've watched him become this kind of poacher extraordinaire in the six-yard box at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. Like that will happen. You know, we knew at the start of this season that there would be moments when we all just kind of shrugged our shoulders a little bit and said, yeah, you were too good for us on that, on that, either on that moment or on that afternoon. The, the key was always making the most of the good moments. And that, I think, is where Forrest, Steve Cooper will have some regrets on Saturday that, they, again, we weren't just able to get the second goal to take it along. That's what, that's what at the end of the game, that's what sorted us out against Southampton is that we'd built up a two-goal lead. We built up a cushion. We didn't have that against Chelsea. If Nierkate's touch goes in, Maybe Chelsea are broken as they have been at home recently and Forrest gone to win the game. So there's always going to be some regrets. But I, I'm, I don't like criticising them for moments in which a very, 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 very highly paid international footballer makes you look a bit silly. That is going to happen. It's the Premier League. I've got no complaints about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Definitely, definitely. And Temps, just the positive, the big positive coming out of it, obviously we're scoring goals away from home, but we're going behind in games uh, away from home and getting something now and getting going behind at home and getting something out of it like we did at Brighton. Well, like Dan said, that's just about efficient use of possession. And we wouldn't have seen what Lottie did for that first goal. We, we wouldn't have seen that early on in the season. It was a, it was a pump between two... Um, centre-halves, you looked all at sea. I thought Chelsea at centre-half were, were weak and I can see why they are um, where, where they are after after that performance. But yeah, we, we, we're just um, make, making better use of the, the ball, aren't we? And I'd, I'd go so far as to say that we probably wouldn't have got that result even seven, eight weeks ago. We certainly wouldn't have got that result without Tyro in the team, obviously. But yeah, efficient use of possession is no bad thing. My perception is that Brennan Johnson will come back into the side because his pace on the break is important. He's played more minutes than any other Forest player. And that was probably a bit of a, a break for him ahead of uh, two really important games in the, in, in the running. But yeah, look, I'm, uh, I think we're in a, a really good place. I'm far more optimistic than, than it sounds that uh, Dan is. I wouldn't go as far as <laughs> I'm, I'm relaxed. Um, but yeah, I, I certainly feel we're going to do it from this point. I also think this is the progression that we're talking about, though, isn't it? They're more confident now in situations when they go behind because they've got experience of it. And you build layers up as the season goes on. And I think, you know, we started off the season and we would concede goals in bunches and games would go in a 10-minute spell and there'd be no way back because it'd be 2-0 or whatever it would be. It would be a bunch of goals going. We started to eradicate that. And you build confidence that goes with the experience. And I think this is just a group of people now that are learning what it takes in the Premier League. They can take the knock now of going behind because they've been behind that much. They know what it feels like. They're responding well to it as well in, in the circumstances now. And it, again, it, it's all about building something and, and, and learning from the experiences and getting better. And hopefully the players that have gone through that this season will start next season in the same vein. And then you are a better Premier League team for doing that. And I think, They've got the confidence now. They're a diff- you're a different team when you can score goals. And the big thing that makes me optimistic about Forest is that of all the teams down there at the bottom, the only team who are con- scoring consistently now are Forest. I think he's 12 goals in five games. Um, the only game where they scored once was Brentford. In every other match, they've scored at least two. And that gives you a chance because the opposition have to be aware of that. Forest struggled for goals earlier in the season. You felt that when they went 1-0 down, that would be it, particularly away. And that's not the case anymore. So I think they've got that little bit of a fear factor about them as well, that you know now when you play this Forest team, the likelihood is they're going to score because they're scoring goals at Liverpool, at Chelsea. And by the way, doesn't it show just how far they've come in the last few weeks? But if we're all honest, we're all ever so slightly disappointed it was only 2-2 at Stamford Bridge. And I'm telling you now, six weeks ago, everybody would have taken that and gone running around the city with a point for their So we have come on a lot. And I think that's testament to the way the lads are playing. Yeah, it was great for the away fans, you know, like I said on Friday. Were there any Chelsea fans there, by the way? Because when I watched it, I couldn't hear any. Were they there? Or was it in red and white stadium? I couldn't hear any Chelsea fans. (laughs) But there's people who put hundreds and hundreds of pounds that go out their bank accounts to go and watch Forest away for very little reward. They are amazing. I'll tell you what, I'd like to see 
how we had the, the open top bus parade for the team last year when they got the trophy at Wembley. I'd like the fans taking around the city on a load of double-decker buses so the team <laughs> can afford them because they've been magnificent from minute one. Um, final one on the game, very quick straw poll. Does anyone think there was a case that João Felix should have been sent off? He was booked for diving and he absolutely leathered the ball at Ryan Yates when the whistle obviously gone. I, I tweeted out, this isn't some Sunday league clogger who's clearing into the stands. Am I reading too much there? I actually thought the, the book for diving was a bit harsh. but Yeah, I was about to say, my, I, I kind of semi-agree with you, but then I, I do think that the first one was harsh. So I sort of internally made peace with it on the basis that I think those, those two yellows would have been really yeah. harsh. There was one By the way, I've been watched Arsenal yesterday and Martielli gets nothing for the forearm and then Caicedo yeah. gets nothing for the retribution. I think we're back to the 70s, so let's go. Yeah, it's prison rules for Yatesy on, on Saturday, isn't it? <laughs> Yatesy v Xhaka. Oh, we'll talk about that more on Friday. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm in a WhatsApp group with an Arsenal fan who was absolutely raging about the ref giving no Marte no protection. I was like, he's just absolutely mullered Matoma in the first minute. What's he expects going to happen with Caicedo on the pitch? But yeah. Great game. Uh, look forward to Saturday. Talking of Saturday then, uh, we'll do a full preview. But I, the one big question I want to get your guys' take on is, as we've discussed, Brennan probably comes back in. I mean, firstly, does he come back in? And if so, for who? Because whoever misses out is going to be bloody unlucky, really, which is great for Steve Cooper and for us. But uh, Fletch, start with you. What do you think? I'd suspect no, actually. I think he might start with a similar team that he started with at Stamford Bridge because I think the questions that Arsenal ask of you, you can't be undermanned anywhere. You've got to be able to deal with what they do. And I think first and foremost, he's got to deal with them. I think at that point, you then try and win the match. I think if you go too attacking against this Arsenal team, you can come a cropper. You've got to be able to deal with Martin Erdegaard and the positions that he takes up. And if you can't do that, then... You know, it can be an issue. So I suspect that he'd go defensively further. I mean, let's not forget, we've got two games left and maybe one more point would make sure. So I can't see that he's going to go out there and be too open at the start. I still think even though Arsenal have now lost the league, barring a miracle, they're still a very dangerous group. And maybe they play with a little bit more freedom at the weekend as well. You can't, you can't take a chance early against this side. I think he's got to be methodical in the way that he does it. Right, I right. heard none of that. My son was outside just yakking at his iPad. That's why I put you on full screen. So <laughs> I'm sure that was a very good point, Fletch. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, 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 It would be a shame if Brennan's not in the team. But if there's this sense, I think, that this sort of oversimplification where you think, well, pick another attacker and you become a more attacking team. Well, it doesn't always work like that. If you pick Brennan and it means that, that Morgan Gibbs-White has to stay a lot deeper than we'd like to shore up <laughs> but to offer cover, or if it means that Danilo can't quite push on as much as he has been, or if it means that the, the full-backs can't push on as much, then or the wing-backs can't push on as much, well, then it doesn't make us more attacking. It just changes and then maybe makes us less effective. There are games that Brennan is absolutely set up for. I think it would be, if we agree that a point would be a very good result, um, then I think it would be a surprise for us to go more open than we did against Chelsea, yes. Mm -hmm. Temps? Brennan definitely starts for me. It's a change of shape to 4-3-3. So coming out of the side as one of the defenders, it'd be Aurier for me. I don't think he had his best game at the weekend. And I think Joe would be more than adept at right back, albeit dealing with some you know, pretty tough wide guys in the Arsenal side. So for me, it's a 4-3-3 with Warrell at right back, Aurier dropping out and Brennan getting his rightful place off the right. He's a big player for us. We've got to, we've got to be a little bit more... Um, yeah, what's the, what's the word? A, a, a little bit more uh, committed. No, I, I don't. I don't want to say open because I think that with, within that within that shape, we've shown we can still be um, defensively solid. We can get um, the the low block in and and beat them on the beat them on the break. But Brennan is such an important player on the break, and I don't think he's been left out of that side um, on Saturday for any other reason. Than him coming back in for these for these two fixtures. So yes, for me he starts. There might be a surprise. He may well drop one of the three centre halves. It won't be Felipe. So it'll be Warrell or Neocarty in that place if Aurier keeps his place. But I think on on the the immediate form guide, it's Aurier that drops out to give Brennan a start. See, I think that's really dangerous because you need real mobility out there. If he's if it's Martinelli on the left, if he's fit enough to play, 
I don't think you want a centre-half as a, as a 1v1 against Martin from the outset. And I think if you're going to beat Arsenal, the teams that have had success against them this season have been very good out of possession. It's how you plug the gaps. You've got to take Martin Erdegaard out of his comfort zone. You can't let him find pockets. You need Is that Yates' job, through. Fletch? Is that, Yates's, is that Yates's job, irrespective of the shape, though? I, I, don't think I don't think you'd necessarily detail one person to do it, but you need enough enough people back there to plug the holes. Because there's other players, too. I mean, it's not just him. I just think you've got to almost say, right, we're going to treat this as an away game and we'll try and nick a goal. And there might be 20 minutes at the end where you think, right, now it's Brennan time. Now let's go and ask questions of, of the two centre-backs who have shown weakness. I, I would accept that. And just see what what where that takes you. But I think if you got to seventy minutes, and at that point you've got a point against Arsenal, mm. not necessarily sure the way the league looks at the minute, there would be that necessity to go and try and get any more. I, mm. I just I think if they needed to win, I'd be completely with you. If you said, "Look, go and win this one," and then maybe get now you've got to play Brennan Johnson. I, I just don't think they have to. I just think if you walk off and it's a really boring nil nil, and you get back in the changing rooms after that, and you got thirty five. We'll all be celebrating. I just, I just don't want them to take the chance when they don't really need to. Just, just, just be right when you haven't got it against Arsenal. Because the other thing is, they can do you real damage if you get it wrong. That's the other thing. And then you don't want to go to Crystal yeah. Palace on the back of it going badly wrong against Arsenal, and then you've got to pick yourselves up again. So I think it's about managing the last two matches and and just keeping everybody on an even keel. I, I, I don't. Look, you, you might be right. You might do exactly that. We're going to beat Arsenal 3 0. And I, I sound like I don't know a thing. But I just, my own personal thing is just, just keep the handbrake on. Just put, keep the handbrake on at the minute. Yeah. Look, it's, it, it's a tough call. It's a marginal one. I, I just think it, it'll be tough for him to rationalise leaving Brennan out for consecutive games, given the weapon he's been for us this season. But someone's just made a point in the comments about Nia Carte's in there for throw ins alone, which is true. That's become a weapon recently. Felipe's been a boss and Joe's had a Joe's had a good run. So yeah, it, it would be a tough call either way. But I yeah, on, a, on I'm I'm willing to put myself out there and say I'd start Brennan. But I I accept I accept the uh, the case for the defense. The best news is, mate, neither of us have got to make that decision. That's the yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I suspect, yeah, I think I think I think it's good to have Brennan as an option off the bench if you're chasing and you need to, but like the others have fled, we don't necessarily need to be winning the game. And I just wonder one of the potential options is maybe he takes Mangala out and plays a two-man midfield like uh, he has done at times. I personally wouldn't. I quite like the packed midfield, but I just wonder if he values Brennan so much that he'll just play Yatesy and Danilo in midfield. But then you're taking something away from Danilo by asking him to be more disciplined. So I think personally, just leave Brennan on, on the bench. Um, one other thing I want to get your take on before we go, the mentality of Arsenal. It's really impossible to say, but they have a history of blowing up a bit. I wonder if this group's different. What do you think, Dan, about how Sunday's going to play on their minds? Yeah, I kind of ran through this sort of three or four times in my head last night. I, I think there's an argument to say that if Arsenal had drawn that game, it might be more advantageous for Forrest because they would basically have, have done themselves by being out of the title race, but then they wouldn't have that much to play for. But they, there wouldn't be any sense if we need a reaction. That That's the worry for Forrest, is that Artessa says this has been a brilliant season. It, you've got another thing coming if you think we're, we're like the final taste of this season is going to be as sour as losing to Brighton and then not beating Forrest. So that that's the worry. Um, but there is also, I, th I think, a chance of the title, with the title gone, that he starts to rotate a bit. You know, players who have got niggling injuries, maybe you don't pick Martinelli if he's carrying a knot. Maybe you don't rush Zinchenko back. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you play Thomas Partey in midfield and, and give maybe Erdegaard or Xhaka or, or Jorginho a rest. That would help <laughs> because the standard of Arsenal's first team, particularly in attack, is an awful lot higher than the players in reserve. That's no disrespect to Eddie Nketiah and, and Reese Nelson, who are, are, are good Premier League footballers, but they are not of the level of Gabriel Jesus and Bakaya Saka and Gabriel Martinelli. So if there's any rotation that almost, I think, does, does Cooper's team talk for us, he says, look, they're, they're rotating players. They're showing a weakness. Let's go and expose it. Mm. You've seen a lot of them, Fletch. How do you, like I say, it's impossible to know, but how do you think they might react to the Brighton defeat? I was a little bit surprised how low they were yesterday because it's not mathematically gone yet. And it was it was funereal when you saw the post-match interviews. Arteta looked 
completely stunned and, and, and constantly kept saying, look, I've got to go away and think about it and didn't really have answers to the question. I think only they know what they're feeling like. But when you've been eight points clear in a title race and now you've just blown it in the manner that they have, it has to have a psychological impact on you. You've got to be asking questions of yourself. And there are, as Daniel says, players who make their team significantly better who won't be there. I think you can see the limitations of Gabriel when Saliba's not next to him. Gabriel's mm. not capable of being the A-side of a partnership. He needs to be a complementary piece. Um, Martinelli, we don't know how badly injured he is, but there's a double-figure player who's a, an absolute nightmare to play against. And if he's not there, that's, that's big. But I, I think it has to leave a psychological mark. They're going to finish second regardless. They now know they're not going to win the league. I think that's a that's a, dif- a difficult place for a team to be in, heading to a stadium that's going to feel like it's going to feel on Saturday. So, I, I think that ha- it has to it has to leave a mark. There has to be a legacy. I would be astonished if there isn't. I think there would be some elements of psychological weakness now within that Arsenal group coming to Nottingham that hopefully the players of Forest can. Can capitalise on the, the one thing I would say is a la Brighton last month. I wish it was a Wednesday game because having yeah. that week off does allow on the training ground to kind of get a manager will go through the the debrief, it'll go through the you know the like pick through the bones of what happened, and then he will have them up again by Thursday. The beauty of the Brighton game is that we got them in with, with, with when they really were low and they were still smarting from that. I don't suppose Arsenal will be still smarting, but yes, that there has to be a psychological hit. I just wish it was a midweek game. Mm-hmm. But I felt like Fletcher, I'm sure every Arsenal player has visualised holding that trophy and getting their medal yeah. and all that stuff. So that's and, got and to hurt. By the way, this is this is two years in a row. I mean, I had a big argument with Jermaine Genus at the weekend about which teams had the better season, Manchester United or Arsenal. Manchester United might finish fourth, but they could finish fourth with two trophies. You know, this is an Arsenal team who's <laughs> had one of their best seasons in league terms for a long time. And they've got nothing to show for it, apart from a Champions League place. They lost in Europe when they were in a position to maybe win the Europa League and all that baloney at the time about, oh, that's what we want. We don't want to be in it. Fans say we don't want to be in the European competition. Nonsense. When you're a team that wants to get into that upper echelon, you've got to be prepared to try and win every competition you're in. And and one or two things have fallen their way as well. If you look at the number of matches they've played, I think it's 48 in all competitions this season. Manchester United are going to play potentially 62. So they've even had that on their side as well, and they still haven't done it. And I think they they might actually be sitting down and questioning their makeup in general in situations like this because it happened to them in similar circumstances last season when they were trying to get into the top four. They couldn't do it then. They were in an even stronger position this season in terms of winning the league and they can't do it now. So, you know, maybe there is a fundamental issue in the makeup of some of those Arsenal players that do come and bite them in, at this stage of the season. They might prove us wrong next year and go romping through. Maybe they won't. Maybe there is a necessity now to add a different type of character or characters to that dressing room to ensure that this kind of thing doesn't happen next season as well. Um, Temps, you're playing the part of ultra-optimistic fan Greg Mitchell here because he wanted us to say how important the fans are going to be in the atmosphere. So uh, give us a word on that. Well, look, that's the reason, isn't it? So for an eight-point lead to find themselves four points behind now is an absolute blow-up. Um, but let's not forget this is a team that have been up there all season, have a goal difference of plus 41 to our minus 31. So my case for doing well against them is, is not based on the relative strengths of the two 11s because pound for pound, they are a far better squad of footballers than us. However, at home, we've taken a point off Man City and we've beaten Liverpool. And that's, that's the X factor in this. That's the X factor reason why we beat them in the cup um, last year. The reason we beat them in the cup going back five or six years is because they put a 40-year-old centre-half against our, our whippersnapper and we turned him over, didn't we, when Mertesacker was, was drafted back in. They're in a bad place. What Arteta's going to say before these games, uh, that their last two fixtures, I don't know, because he'll have bigged up every one of their last 36 games as if it's the Champions League final. But they're a busted flush now. And there's not much more he can do, really, than set them up, pick the side and push them out there. Temps, you're the mad thing. Temps, you're the mad thing. Their game won't even be shown on the final Sunday of the season because there's no interest in it. 
They wow, said yeah. against Wolves. So blown up. tickets tickets were, were going on the on the on the on the exchanges for ridiculous sums of money because the Arsenal fans thought that was going to be the day that they were parading around with, with the cup. It's not even going to happen. They're not even going to feature on the last day. There's, I've never seen a team get so close to winning a league and then become so irrelevant at this stage of the season, apart from can they have an impact on the relegation issue? It's mad. Never happens like this. Crackers. But even when they were top, they didn't have the Man City aura. They were playing above themselves. They were playing above the sum of their parts. Man City were playing slightly beneath the sum of their parts, but now they've been on this run, haven't they? And won, won 11 straight. Man City are by far a better team than Arsenal. And although it's not math- mathematically over, it is over. Man City yeah. need two points from two games and that, that's going to happen. So look, I don't care about that really. I don't frankly care about Arsenal. I care about Forest. There's every reason why we can get a point from this game. And yes, if we do that, it'll be all down to Greg Mitchell and his flags. As long as I think... I agree, but we have to be better defensively than we were against Southampton. And, you know, we have to cut, cut out those errors and show due respect to Arsenal and defend better from set pieces and stuff like that. But I think it's well within Forest's grasp to certainly deliver the performance and, and get the point if things go well. Um, changing tack slightly for the last few minutes, a few bits of housekeeping. Good luck to the under 21 tonight. Uh, against Leeds in their playoff game, a big game for them. Uh, Gary Brazil's 11th anniversary of the club today. I'm sure we'll talk about Gary Brazil in the next few weeks when we know what the future is for him. But in the meantime, good luck to the 21s. Uh, good luck to Forest Women against Watford on Saturday, Stadium MK, a promotion playoff um, to get to the Women's Championship, the second tier. So uh, good luck to them. Well done to Notts County. Can I say that? I enjoyed that game. Very tense penalty shootout and well done them for dragging themselves through time and again. We know what it's like the playoffs and how hard they are and having to drag yourself back from the brink. And they did it lots of times. I think it's good for the city to have two clubs uh, playing at the levels they are, especially Forest, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, that's it from me. Um, Tempt, anything you want to add? Well, I can't capitalise on that. Kind of think you thanked everyone apart from your mum, dad and God there. Well, so, yeah, to them, yeah. Echo everything that, that they said, and County in particular, what a journey. I, I'll buy the DVD of their playoff run. They've, uh, yeah, doing so much better now. Fletcher's left the board. <laughs> <laughs> Fletch, since he's throwing that in, anything you want to say? Anything you want to add before we go? No. It's <laughs> the first time you've been silenced on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm very pleased that they're back. I think it's fantastic. I think ownership have been magnificent. I think Luke Williams has done a, an amazing job there. And when you hear the players talk about him and the impact that he's had on them, I think it gives you a lot of confidence that they can have a decent season next season as well. I think when you come up with 107 points, as they have, it would be surprising if Notts and Wrexham aren't two of the front runners next season. You tend to get that first season bounce when you come back and then Stockport have done it this season in the playoffs, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I expect those two to be prominent teams in League Two next season based on, on the season that they've had. But concentrations on Forest. I think they're going to get something on Saturday against Arsenal. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they win the match um, based on where Arsenal are psychologically. They give you a chance at the back. The way that Forest are scoring goals at the minute, I think they'll score goals. I don't think they're very good defensively. The atmosphere is going to be absolutely off the scale. Because we've got one more go at it. And I think it might reach new heights on uh, on Saturday tea time. Um, fantastic. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Saturday could be the day and then we can all relax. Uh, last word to you, Dan. Anything you want to add on the game? Lots County, your mum, dad, God, anything like that? No, just to say I'm off to Leicester Liverpool tonight to, to watch the one team in the relegation battle we've not really mentioned. So let's just hope there's no sort of unhappy little twists in that tale. Because, yeah, I think if Leicester lose on uh, tonight, then that's them done, which would be, it'd be <laughs> amazing to finally get one team kind of greyed out. That's been the horrible thing about this relegation <laughs> battle is that nobody has been cut adrift. And finally, we're starting to get teams clawed down and cut adrift. So, yes, Southampton gone, hopefully Leicester next. Are they done with the draw as well, do you think, or does that keep them in it? Uh They've got they've got West Ham on the final day, but they've got Newcastle away next weekend, and Newcastle will now need something. So mm. that really helps Forest. Um, Leicester just aren't. I mean, they might surprise me, but they're just not playing well enough. They're not coherent enough to to unlock better teams, I don't think. And look, 
it, it, they might be West Ham at home on the final day, but the way they're playing, it won't matter by then. Dan, mm. the biggest thing for them is they've got so many players who are going to be leaving, regardless yeah. of what happens. It's impossible to think that they would be as invested in the situation they're yeah. in as they would be if they were on long contracts and, and there was some kind of jeopardy for them. Yeah, no, I think no. the most they'll get is 33. So I, I, I think they're out of forest sight as it is now. I think they'll get they'll, they'll lose at Newcastle for me. That'll be I, that, 33. I, it's not a Leicester podcast, obviously, but I mean they've got a lot of players out of contract this season, a lot of players out of contract next season. They've got a lot of money on loans against uh, TV money as well. It's going to be an interesting few years for Leicester City if they go down, certainly. Uh, right, I think that brings us to a close. Thanks for everyone who's watched along. There was almost a 1,000 watching live at one point. So if you did enjoy, uh, do like it. And if you didn't enjoy, ignore Fletch and just don't do anything. <laughs> but thanks for everyone. If you don't like it, just don't say anything. Just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the best way. Uh, but thanks for everyone who's joined and commented. Very much appreciate as ever. We'll be back on Thursday with uh, a full preview show about the Arsenal game, hopefully expanding on some of the points we've um, had today. Uh, in the meantime, Temps, thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Nice to talk to you. Did those biscuits go down all right or a bit of indigestion this morning? Absolutely fine, mate. I'd run it off by off 11. <laughs> well, we know Mrs Temple doesn't watch this podcast at all, so you don't need to lie about that. Don't worry. <laughs> Fletch, thank you. I presume it says Waitrose on the shirts in the back because that's some kind of cookie award, is it? I thought it was a cricket <laughs> shirt, but it's clearly not. It's clearly where he gets the cookies from. They were. We can advertise. We're not the BBC. They were Asda cookies, weren't they? <laughs> Four for 90p, special offer. Best for Asda, get yourself in there, guys. <laughs> Dan, thank you very much. Enjoy Leicester. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you on and uh, we'll have you back soon, hopefully. Like I say, uh, thanks very much, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week and we shall see you soon.